Today's reading is taken from First Corinthians chapter twelve. First Corinthians chapter twelve. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, "Jesus be cursed," and no one can say, "Jesus is Lord," except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all giving the one Spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, "Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body," it will not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, "Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body," it will not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, "I don't need you," and the head cannot say to the feet, "I don't need you." On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour, and the parts that we that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Where our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles; second, prophets; third, teachers; then miracles; then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. 
Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lexi. So, if you can have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we go through this text, that'd be great. And next week, just uh, as we start the series, I want to um, just say next week is a very important uh, text, 1 Corinthians 13, which is wedged in between 12 and 14, which are actually quite controversial um, uh, chapters. But right in the middle is the chapter about love. But unfortunately, um, this uh, next week at 9.30 service, uh, the, I mean, fortunately, the bishop is coming, <laughs> and in order, but, so what we will do, he will actually preach from a different text, um, from Gospel of John, um, but at the 11.30 service, um, we will go ahead and actually cover 1 Corinthians 13. So could I recommend that you listen um, to uh, th- that sermon uh, online um, uh, after next week? But anyway... Um, it's, uh, th- th- these are uh, words that a lot of people have a lot of very strong opinions on. So why don't we pray that we would all listen um, to God's word together. Lord, we are keenly aware that it's not um, the, the eloquence or the, the persuasiveness. Um, but Lord, it is your spirit's power uh, that transforms um, your people's lives. And so, Lord, we pray now as we come to uh, this text um, that your spirit would speak um, through me, through these words, uh, that it would convict us, uh, that it would change us, uh, that we may be a church that works together for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when you think of a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit, what kind of person do you think of? You might think of somebody who talks and hears uh, from God, somebody who speaks in tongues, somebody who uh, can heal as they pray. Well, those are great things, and that may be, but in 1 Corinthians, in the Corinthian church, there were people who had all these different gifts, but they were causing a lot of problems, not because these gifts aren't good, but because they're being misused. There was confusion over how and when to use them. Some were speaking in languages that nobody could understand, and there was no translation. Some felt that their gifts made them feel superior to others, while other people felt inferior because they didn't have those gifts. Some people felt inspired to speak, and so actually multiple people were speaking at the same time, which caused chaos. Well, these are all potential problems for us, too. So as Paul begins, I want to begin this series with verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. We need to know what these things are. We do need to be informed about them. And first, I want to start out by saying that all Christians have have been given the Holy Spirit. Because in verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord. No one can actually become a Christian except by the Holy Spirit. 
Of course, this isn't, he's not saying that some people can't mouth the words, Jesus is Lord. Anyone can do that, but no one can really give their lives over to Christ and call him as their Lord unless the Spirit, apart from this work of the Holy Spirit in that person's life, that confession, that giving of their lives and, and, the, and, and giving of the Holy Spirit are, are inseparable. And that's what Paul means in verse 13 as well. As you look down, we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, given one spirit to drink. That spirit is not given at some second baptism. He's given at our conversion. When we confess Jesus as our Lord, that's when we received the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you can become a Christian. When the Spirit comes in your life and opens your eyes and makes you a new person, you have the Spirit. And this means that God gives the spiritual gifts to all, all Christians. And did you pick up on the universality of the spiritual gifts in verse 7? Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given Right? To every one of us, to each one of us, the spiritual gift is given. God works. The Spirit works in different ways. And each one, every one of you, has a spiritual gift. It's for all of us. It's not some for uber-Christians. It's for all of us who have the Spirit. Whether you recognize it or not, you become a part of this body with your unique gifts. And the reason for this gift, then, is to build people up, to be more like Christ, for the church to grow collectively and individually to be more like Christ. Since, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. These different gifts are given so that you could serve the rest of the body and work together as one. They're not given so that one could stand out and feel more important. They're not even given so that you could have a closer relationship with God. They're given for the common good. And we're given a variety of gifts. Uh, but there is absolute unity then of the people who have these different gifts. Look how Paul emphasizes that unity throughout the chapter, right? There's the Trinitarian unity in verse four, verses 4 to 6. He says there are different kinds of gifts, but actually it's the same Spirit who gives them. Different kinds of services, but the same Lord. Different kinds of workings or activities, but the same God. It's the Spirit, the Son, and the, uh, and the Father giving different gifts, services, and workings, but it's the same God. It's the Trinitarian unity that is there. And there's also the relentless repetition of one throughout this passage, right? Verse 11, one and the same spirit. Verse 12, just as one body, the one, form one body. Verse 13, we all were baptized by one spirit as to form one body, given one spirit to drink. That's why we're told in verse 27 that we are the body, one body of Christ. We're united, even though we have many parts. Christianity is unlike cult, um, cults in this regard. Cults make everybody look exactly the same. It produces like a North Korean army kind of um, atmosphere. Everybody doing exactly the same thing. Everybody looking exactly the same thing, marching in unison. It produces uniformity. But unity in Christ is different. 
because it preserves individuality. It gives different gifts. It encourages gifts. It encourages difference. But there is unity. Because with all these different parts, they're working together in concert as one body. It's, it's really literally symphony of different parts making beautiful music together as they play different parts. But if it's the same spirit then working in all of us, then there ought to be no division in the body. You might have strong feelings about spiritual gifts, but we need to put this in the forefront of our minds as we go through this series. That has such potential to divide these gifts. If they do not serve the body, if they do not drive us to unity, if it drives us to division, pride, anger, dissension, then it's useless, as we will see next week. But of course, the term unity is meaningless unless there is diversity, right? We're given different gifts. So what are these different gifts? Well, there's a couple of lists um, here in our text. Verses 8 through 10, there's one list. And then there's verse 28. There's another list um, there. The message of wisdom is the first one. It's probably what it sounds like, message of wisdom. Um, There are words that are filled with God-given wisdom. Message of knowledge. Some people believe that uh, this is knowledge specially given by God about a person or about a specific situation. Like, for example, when Jesus um, talks to the woman at the well in John 4, he knows um, her past. Maybe that's the message of knowledge. Or like Peter, um, who knew uh, that Ananias and Sapphira weren't giving all that they said were giving. Message of knowledge. Maybe faith. Gift of faith, and faith is named as a gift here, and it probably belongs in the next category, the other two uh, following, gifts of extraordinary signs. You know, because in, job, uh, in, in, in next chapter, in 13.2, he says, uh, you can have a faith that can move the mountains. So it seems like this extraordinary faith that does something extraordinary. Gifts of healing is the next one mentioned. And that one is mentioned in plural. Everything else is gift. But here it says gifts. And people have many theories about this. Some believe that there are different kinds of healing gifts, like spiritual healing and physical healing, emotional um, healing gifts. Others say that God possibly heals many times, maybe through one person or through many multiple people. There are different gifts. Uh, there are the gifts of healing within the body. I personally think that this is a person who's able to, as they are praying for the church or for a person, that this person is, gets this conviction that God will heal this person, that there, there comes this certainty about that as they're praying. Right? So it's still tied to praying gift, but God gives that certainty. And so when they pray that they would be healed, that this person gets healed. But it's God still healing Verse 10, miraculous powers or works of power is, I think, what it sounds like. (laughs) A person who does extraordinary signs. Gift of prophecy. In this context, in the 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, where multiple people are feeling compelled, inspired to speak at once, spontaneously, I think is this gift of being able to hear, uh, discern God's voice. 
and be able to speak then to the congregation or maybe to people to encourage, to exhort, to comfort, to rebuke, to strengthen. But of course, gift of prophecy is not the same as the Bible, right? Because the prophecies need to be tested. So John tells us to test every spirit. Um, And here, because the the only way that we can be sure that we're hearing 100% the word of God is the scripture. And so we are to test each prophecy. And this is why I think gift of prophecy is followed by gift of discernment. Distinguishing between different spirits, whether this really is from God or something else. The gift of tongue here in Corinthians, I think, means that people are speaking in languages that people don't understand. They themselves don't understand, which is why you need the gift of interpretation of the tongue. And it could be a language of angels. It could be a foreign language, but it's something that people don't understand. It's not that useful as a public gift for that reason, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And in verse 28, there is another list. If you scan over there, and two more gifts are added to this list, a gift of helping and guidance. Once again, gift of helping is probably what it sounds like. Um, it's people who are gifted in getting alongside of people and being able to help, right? Encourage, doing the practical things. Gift of guidance sometimes is translated as gift of administration, A Greek word um, for it means sort of rudder or helmsman, somebody who guides and determines the course, right? Sets the the direction and helps us to get there. There is another list in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. And there, uh, Paul adds a few more um, gifts um, there, gifts of exhortation, people who have this extraordinary gift of encouragement, encouraging and urging people on, gift of giving. People, and you know, everybody's supposed to give, but these people are able to give more, and they're able to give more um, in a way that is effective in building up the gospel. People who are extraordinarily generous. There's gift of leadership. Once again, I think that is tied to gift of sort of uh, governance or guidance, I think. Uh, Gift of mercy. Mercy gift is a practical gift to love the unlovely, to alleviate suffering. 1 Peter 4.9 mentions gifts of, gift of hospitality. People who are able to share home and food and energy to refresh um, people around them, people who need it. I think these cover most of the gifts that are in the Bible. But as we go through them, I just want you to know it's notoriously difficult to understand understand exactly what these gifts mean. Because he only talks about them once or twice and it's, he doesn't ever define them. Right? In fact, you saw that there are many different, give, uh, different lists, but you can see that each time he mentions them, the list is different. It's a different list. There are two lists here in 8 to 10 and verse 28, and there are two different lists. They're not the same. It's, he's not concerned to give you the exact list of the spiritual gifts. That's not what he's concerned about. And he never goes and defines each one. This is what this means. This is what that means. And that's because Paul, that's not the point. It wasn't important for him, whether we know exactly what the difference is between gift of word of knowledge 
and gift of prophecy. Uh, to me, they seem fairly similar. Or gift of healing and gift of miraculous powers. They both seem miraculous to me. This is not what he wanted to teach us as he's writing this text. In fact, your gifts might not even be listed here. Because he didn't mean to write a comprehensive list. I don't think so. Because, you know, you might have gift of singing. You might actually have gifts that are not mentioned there. Gift of singing or writing or admonishing or listening. These are all gifts that can build the body of Christ up. This is, what, uh, this is what's important. This is what he wants us to get out of this list, out of this text that we use whatever gift that God has given, that whatever gift we have received, that we use them to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. This is actually, these are Peter's words in 1 Peter 4.10, that we whatever gift we receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms, What he wants to say in this chapter is, you're all gifted if you have the Holy Spirit. If you confess Jesus as your Lord, you have the Spirit and you are gifted with the Spirit, spiritual gifts. And you have something that you can contribute to the body of Christ, to build others up, to live under the Lordship of Christ. This is why he starts with Jesus as Lord, right? That confession. So instead of asking, which of these specific gifts do I have? Once again, it might not be listed there. We should be asking, if I am part of this body, then how can I build others up as a member of this body? You might ask, well, how do I know what my gifts are? Well, it's not that hard. Test your gifts. Test them. Since these are gifts to be used to build others up, test them uh, with this in mind. So if you think you have the teaching gift, test it out. Go and ask if you can help uh, uh, teach a Solid Rock and Kingdom Kids or do it in one-to-one setting. Don't just ask, do I like this, right? Because that's not the point. The point is, am I able to build others up when I teach? Am I effective in it when I do this? As you're praying for somebody, God might give you some words to say to, uh, to that someone. Or wisdom or knowledge, you might go and actually tell that person, as I was praying for you, I received these words. And if that, those words mean something to them and they're able to build that person up to be more like Christ, then you might have the gift of word of knowledge, gift of wisdom. Test it out. If you pray for someone and God gives you the certainty that this God will heal this person, pray for healing in faith and see if God heals that person. You might have the gift of healing. But in all of it, we should be asking, I have a gift. Then how can I, what, what is it that I have that can serve others to be more, uh, to, to help them to build them to be more like Christ? We should be testing them out and serving them. And some people get comfortable with this sort of um, thing because they want to distinguish sort of spiritual, supernatural gifts from natural gifts. Um, because what I, when I say something like this, it sounds like I'm, I'm erasing the distinct, dist- distinction. But I'm not quite, uh, quite saying that for this reason. Once again, 
Because spiritual gifts, if you have this gift, you will build the body of Christ up. If you don't, you won't be able to. There are a lot of naturally gifted speakers, right? So they might say eloquent words, persuasive words, but actually they might be inspired for one moment, but then the next day they forget. Nothing stays. They don't change. They're not transformed to be more like Christ. But you might have people who speak simple words, right? But there's something about that God uses, the Spirit uses to transform people. That's a spiritual gift. That's a gift of teaching. That person should be speaking more in the church. The criterion, whether it's a spiritual gift or not, is this question. When you use your gift, is it effective in building others up to live under the Lordship of Christ? Is it effective? Not is it natural or supernatural. That's not the point, right? We're all gifted because we all have the Spirit. We should be testing our gifts, and we should be using them to build others up around us. But in order for this to work, we have to trust. Trust that God um, God, who has given us these different gifts, has arranged us to be a body of Christ together. Take a look at verse 18. In fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. It's God who has given you these gifts, and it's God who called you to be part of this church. You need to trust in that. People come to Shatin Church for all sorts of different reasons, but underlying them all is this. God has called you to be a part of this body. God put us together. And this means that actually I think churches have different characteristics for this reason based on what kinds of gifts that you have, what kinds of gifts that I have. Different churches will have different characteristics because of the gifts that are in that body, but it is God who has brought us together to be that body. So do you trust that God has put us together? If you look left and right, these are your brothers and sisters. These are the members of that body. Do you trust that it is God who has arranged us and has distributed his gifts as he deemed fit? That this is the church that God is building here. I think this also means trusting partly in the leadership. That you might need to trust the leadership of the church. Take a look at verse 28. God has placed the church in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing and helping guidance of different kinds of tongues. There's no surprise that there is apostles and the prophets, first apostles, second prophets, that these apostles and the prophets are mentioned in that list. After all, apostles are the foundations of the church. Christ has appointed them and built the the church on their foundation. The prophets here aren't people who have gift of prophecy, right? Uh, People who are prophesying, but those whom Christ has used to build the church as foundations once again. If you look um, at Ephesians 2.20, for example, um, Paul will say that this God, Christ has built the, 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 the church upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, and, and Christ as the cornerstone. What is surprising, I think, in that list is the teachers is named as third in the rank. 
There are no more rankings after that. All these are gifts. All the others are gifts. And that highlights the importance of teaching gift in the church. Right? The continuity of teachings of the apostles and the prophets. That, that, that we need to continue to build on what's recorded in the scripture. What uh, the early church has recorded for us. That we build ourselves. We build Shatin church and we build whatever church there are upon that foundation. The teachers are important for that reason. But... And so I think in Ephesians, uh, he mentions pastor teachers. In Paul's other letters, he mentions elders who have this gift. They all teach God's word, and God has placed them in the church for that reason. So I want to ask, what's your first instinct? When we teach, Niels and I and others who have teaching gifts here, when we teach, what's your first instinct? Is it mistrust? Is it suspicion? Or is it trust? Once again, it doesn't mean that you just don't challenge us at all. We need to be challenged because we too are fallen people who need to be, uh, we need to hear from God's word, right? We need to read these things correctly. But I just want to ask, what's your first instinct? Is it trust or is it suspicion? God has placed us in the church. And of course, this goes the other way around as well. God has placed all of you, all of us, as members of the church. And it means that the leadership then needs to trust the members, that the members are indispensable, that members are gifted by God, even if they're quite different from where the leadership comes from. Right? This means that our ministry won't just roll from top bottom, but then if you are all gifted with the Spirit, Right? It means ministries bubbling up from bottom up. It means you being equipped and exercising your gifts, starting ministries, doing things. Right? Uh, every member church, spirit-filled church, will be messy. There will be a measure of chaos because we're all asking the same questions and we want to serve Christ together. It won't be so neat. But that is how that works. That's how the body grows. If all of us, if all of you, with your various gifts, do ministry, build each other up. And importantly, trusting that God has put us together means that we can have courage to exercise our big and small gifts, as we'll see in the weeks to come. The Corinthian church was struggling because some had special gifts like gift of tongue. Those who had little gifts felt that, ah, maybe I shouldn't be part of this body. Why is it that they have them and I don't? But this is what Paul says to them in verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, uh, for that reason, stop being part of the body. He says, no, that person too is part of the body. In fact, every part is necessary. Ear is necessary for you to be able to hear. Nose is necessary so you'll be able to smell. Every member serves a function. So he goes on to say that the, even the weaker parts, that the, the parts that seem weaker are indispensable, verse 22. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, if Joanna just went away, I mean, she might seem dispensable. Sorry. <laughs> that if, if Joanna wasn't here, I mean... It will be trouble for us if the welcomers, the refreshments, all these weak things that are not spectacular, that are not honored, 
right? If they went away, actually, we would, we would miss them sorely. As we start speaking about these spiritual gifts, you might wonder to yourself, why don't I have a gift of prophecy? Why don't I have a gift of teaching? Why don't I, uh, can't I able to heal or speak in tongue? I've thought that myself. I prayed for gift of healing or gift of, gift of uh, tongue um, as I was growing up. God has given each one of us at least one gift, something to be used for the common good. Instead of being jealous, instead of longing to have a different gift, something that we don't already have, we should be testing. We should be testing and using the gifts that God has already given to build others up. Because whatever you have is indispensable. God has brought you to this church to be an indispensable member of our church. So will you have the courage to test your gifts? Will you have the courage to use them, however big or small that is? This also means that no one can be proud of their gifts. In Greek, these gifts are literally gifts of grace, uh, charismata. These gifts are God-given gifts. If God uses our gifts to change people's lives, all praise to God. Also, if gifts are, uh, gifts are given not to set you apart, but to serve others, just as we need them, just as Christ saw um, to fit um, to give you those gifts, there's no place for pride in the body. Yes, we are to eagerly desire greater gifts, but as we'll see in a couple of weeks, this isn't so much about each of us sort of powering up another level, but it's about the body's growth. It's about what, it, what the body needs in order to grow together. What do we need in our church that you can do to build others up? So when you think about a spirit-filled person, look around. Look around you. Look at yourself because the Spirit is in you. You have gifts that can be used to build others up. And I hope you are asking, how can I contribute then? What are the gifts that I could use to build others up? What are my gifts? What are the needs here at Shatin? A spirit-filled person is a person using whatever gifts that they have with great humility and courage, serving others so that they may be built up like Christ. It might not look super spiritual. It might not look supernatural. But nonetheless, that is a spirit-filled person, a member of the body of Christ, doing his job. And that's we, who we all ought to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words that are recorded for us. We thank you for the Corinthian church and these words that have been written to them. But Lord, we thank you that these are written also for us. Help us now. Lord, it's the same Spirit who has been working in us. So, Lord, we pray that you would unite us, 
that you'd make us one body of Christ. And help us to be a church that does not, um, that, that, that does not make people look the same, that does not create uniformity, but, Lord, true diversity, that we would encourage different gifts, exercising of different gifts, uh, gifts that we might not completely even understand. Help us to be a church that understands that the body of Christ is a diverse group of people given various of different gifts. But Lord, help us to work together. Help us to build each other up. Help us to be Christ-minded. And help us to trust one another. Help us to trust in your hand who has brought us together. Lord, we thank you that you've poured out your spirit upon the church. We thank you that the Shaten Church is a spirit-filled church. Help us to be people who exercise the great powers that you've given to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.